And we're back for the final season of Game of Thrones. Season 8, the first episode is called Winterfell. Just a quick update that we're trying to get this podcast on iTunes. We submitted it last week, but it has not been accepted yet. So this first episode will go on YouTube, and then of course we'll put it on iTunes as soon as we're accepted. Hopefully by episode 2, you can find us on iTunes. And if you subscribe, it's not going to be just this last season. We will eventually podcast about the Game of Thrones new show that will come out in a year or two or whatever. Anyways, welcome back. Hi. Hi. All right. Well, I took an unusually large amount of notes for an episode that didn't have a tremendous amount of violence or anything, but I thought it was a good start to the season. Yeah. I I mean, I definitely liked it. It was slow. It was a a complete setup episode. Yeah. I thought they were going to start right out of the gate with a bunch of stuff happening because there's only six episodes this season. And since it was um, such a setup episode, it made me feel like, come on, we only got six episodes. And it was a short one on top of that. Right. But uh, the new introduction, it started with that. And I'm going to have to watch it again. I was like disoriented watching it. And I was trying to focus on every little thing. And it was cool. It looked cool. It's nice to already be thrown off guard, you know, and like focusing from the beginning. And as... I watch it again. If I find anything to comment on, I will. I mean, I, I did think it was kind of cool how they were showing the cold coming in as... Yeah, you know. following as the, the chessboard type thing is being laid out. Yeah. And then it went inside the castles, got into the crypts and everything. Which I thought was pretty neat because there's a lot of those crypts that I feel like significant stuff was going to happen there. And, and, and this episode did not disappoint on that front. <laughs> right, exactly. I wonder, just looking at this intro, how much you could parse out if you, of what's going to happen if you really put your mind to it. Well, it was an interesting way that they started it, and I liked it quite a bit. It was essentially the same opening as Season 1, Episode 1. From yeah. the music, which I don't know if we've heard since Season 1. That that's like that was kind of King Robert's yeah. theme song. The music was the same. It starts with this kid. It's kind of from his point of view, which um, could have been Arya. In the post-show, they said it was like when Arya was a little kid, but it reminded me more of Bran. But, well, it was also what Bran did yeah. in, the, in the first season. So it's like in the beginning of season one, Bran is running up on the, the top of the battlements of the castle to see the arriving king and royalty and everything. And that's what happens in this episode. I, I think it's like called circular storytelling or something, but they're coming back to where things started. Right, yeah, going full circle, yeah. essentially. And the Unsullied are arriving at Winterfell. Lots yeah, they of, got warmer gear. Yeah, <laughs> they're going to need it. <laughs> Their arms aren't exposed anymore. Arya is uh, in the crowd, and when she sees John, she can hardly contain herself. You know, she wants to go over there. And well, when we were watching, you said, "Oh, it's Arya's greatest hits." Yeah, Arya's greatest hits. Because right after she sees John, she sees the Hound and Gendry. She has history with all these people. Yeah, and and we see her connect with them all in this episode. Which that's what I like best about this episode is the reunions, because it hasn't been since the very beginning of season one, where some of these people have seen each other, and and so I, I very much liked that with especially the Starks but like even some other characters um and then just it's weird like sometimes I think I need a little bit more time to fully process it but I I felt like it was a little slow and it could have been put together differently well so it started it went for a long time without anything being said which I I personally kind of liked so yeah everything's walking in and then we see the northerners they're (laughs) apparently have never seen dark-skinned people before they're looking at Grey Worm and Masandi, like you know, what is this? And well, I, I think they're just seeing everybody as foreigners. Like, it, like the, right. the North is not used to other people, um, and, and basically anyone who's not the North is is almost a foreigner. I think to these people, and, and there's so many different people from the Unsullied to the Dothraki, and 
you know, the North doesn't like that. They, they need time to warm up and they're not getting that at all here. You know, we as an audience understand what's so at, like at stake here, but they, they, they've just been going through a lot here in these last few years. And I think they're kind of tired of people coming in and taking over. Yeah. I mean, they definitely look wary and I don't blame them. So we get a long time without a line and then we finally get some words spoken and it's, <laughs> I thought this episode did an okay job balancing some humorous parts, but the opening lines of Tyrion giving Varys a hard time about being a eunuch, I don't know. There were a couple lines where I'm just like, yeah, that, that was dumb. Uh, another one is, what do dragons eat? Whatever they want. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it just, it was too corny in some ways or Well, there's some funny, juvenile. yeah. They, they did have some funny parts, but I, I felt like this last season too, and maybe there'll be something big that happens for Tyrion, but I feel like they kind of just don't know what to do with him now. So they're just yeah. giving him lines and, you know, yeah. he's brokering some deals, I guess. But but no, I don't really understand the point of his character really at this point. He's not doing anything really much of consequence. It was cool to see him him and Sansa meet up again yeah. because there, yeah. there's mutual respect. We'll, we'll get to that one. Yeah, I got all the reunions there in a second. And just to, to clarify, I, I hold Game of Thrones on a level that no other show can touch. It, so when I say what could come off as negative things here of the show, it, it really is still quite an amazing one. And I'm thoroughly entertained. Even in the quote-unquote bad episodes, they're still good. <laughs> yeah, I saw Rotten Tomatoes recently. They, they put out a thing with all the episodes and their tomato score. And the lowest one is still like in the high 80s or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, a bad episode of Game of Thrones gets like a 93% score right, or something. Right, right. So, and so that's where a lot of my criticism comes Right, that's where the context comes in is we yeah. just have such high um, expectations of such a good show. But when, when you know it's capable of being so good, I hold it to that standard. So that's where some of my... My criticisms come in when, when I know that they, they didn't quite meet expectations. To me, the episode actually, I, I liked it better than I thought I was going to. My only criticism is what I already mentioned is that knowing that there's only six episodes, yeah. it gives it an extra kind of pressure. But all right, so so all the pomp and circumstance happens with the, the armies showing up and everything like that. And then we get some of, of the reunions. And one of the first ones we get is John and Bran. Who haven't seen each other since like the beginning of season one or something like and that. And he's shocked to see him. Yeah, yeah. And Bran looks completely different. He was a tiny little boy when John left. This is like a weird piece, though, for me that I, I commented to you as we were watching it because throughout the entire episode, Bran is often just sitting in like the Winterfell city center, just sitting and hanging out. And and he has this ability. Like I, I think a lot of people are probably they don't know what to make of him. And, and like he, it's just kind of creepy. Yeah, he, he does come off as. It's not like he's hanging creeper. by the weirwood tree or something. He's just there sitting. Yeah. He knows everything. Like, that's going to make people not feel at ease. Well, you know, he's at a point where he doesn't really care how people yeah, feel. Yeah, he doesn't. But it, I thought in their reunion, there was a double entendre. Is that how you say it? Well, oh, I have to know what you're saying <laughs> first. <laughs> when it has two meanings. So, um, John says, you're a man. And Bran says, almost a man. And I think at, at first glance, you could take that as he's almost grown up. But you could also take it as he's... I, I took it as he's not really human Yeah, not, not quite human, right? Yeah. Um, almost a man, half human, half three-eyed raven, whatever. So that's what I meant by double entendre. Oh, is okay. That, is that correct usage? <laughs> yeah. Because we get another so. one later that yeah. I, I will point out when we get there. But. <laughs> And then yeah, so they're kind of meeting. Hello, Sansa. Hello, Danny. And then and then Bran says he gives them a, an update that they broke through the wall. They're coming. We uh, we don't even have time for pleasantries. Yeah. 
So that's um, wet blanket thrown over them. And then um, we fall into the old familiar pattern where John is trying to explain to the, the northerners who just elected him king that he gave up his crown. And, you know, Sansa has a problem with this and so does uh, the little girl, Mormont. And I don't blame them having a problem with this for this, but it, it's still people just can't wrap their mind around the real problem. To them, there's it's still politics. It's still yeah. bickering over this and that. And uh, there's a point Tyrion made in the previous season that our minds aren't created for these existential threats that are this big, you know. But I think it highlights also an important piece here because we hear for years Danny being like, I am the rightful queen, I am the rightful blah, 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 blah. And we now, especially last season and again here in this episode, John is saying over and over again, I didn't want to be king. I didn't want this. And it's such a different narrative between these two people of their approach to it. And like, I remember thinking with last season of like, who cares if he bends the knee right now? Like, once she figures out what's going on of the, you know, the whites and the white walkers and all that, why is it so important that, that he has to give up his um, his kingdom of, of the North here just to appease her? Like, right. she's so singularly focused on being the ruler of the Seven Kingdoms. And I think it's the show kind of saying what they, they I think they much more clearly stated in this episode of, like, Danny may not be that good of a leader. Well, I'm not going to say I was right. We still got five episodes left. but Well, I, I, I feel like they started painting a very different picture here with this episode. Like, if, if there was some, like, yeah, I think there's some setup before. Now it's like, nope, there's definitely setup. Yeah, and when um, I have a lot to say about that later in the yeah. episode, so I'll, I'll stop there for a second and we'll just go. The only other note I have at, at this portion of Winterfell, we'll come back to Winterfell later, is Sansa and Tyrion meeting, like you said, and... You know, these two kind of respect each other. Tyrion was kind to her when they were married. He didn't force himself upon her on their wedding night. But Uh, he doesn't seem very useful anymore because I I think Sansa is completely right. She seems to be telling everybody all the time, don't underestimate Cersei. She did it last season with Littlefinger. Like, she's just... It's funny to me that she seems to be the only one, and Tyrion should know, like, almost better than anyone else than Sansa. And he's all like, yeah, no, no, no. No, it's extremely bizarre that Tyrion is so naive. So when she said, I used to think you're the cleverest man, yeah, he's incredibly naive. Unless unless maybe he knows something we don't know that's coming later. But, right, they, like, switch places. Now she's the cynic and he's the naive person. And, but she called him out on it. I, I thought that they were just going to end the conversation, but she called him out, which means that she drew attention to it to us. Yeah. Which if, if I'm sure most people noticed it before, but if not, it's so, uh, yeah, I don't know exactly what to make of well, Tyrion's recent uh, yeah. embrace of and I think non-intelligence. It, it's <laughs> what you were kind of saying. Like, he, it's like they don't know what to do with him because... No. At least he used to be, you know, witty and clever and had some, you know, fun relationships like him and Braun or him and Pod or something like that. But, like, I, I don't know. He's just not very interesting right now. And maybe we'll, we'll, we only have five left, but maybe a lot will happen with that. Um, but there, there's a lot of setup here uh, for Sansa and her ability to rule and be clever. And, and like, she, she kind of is almost ruling the roost here. Yeah, she's clearly taking command when John was gone and is um, doesn't seem to be doing a poor job of it. Yeah. Well, and, and Arya utterly respects her. Yes, that, that was an interesting thing, too. And that came with John and Arya's meeting. But, yeah, they're two peas in a pod at this point. Yeah. Let's jump over to King's Landing for a second. Cersei gets the news that the White Walkers have broken through the wall. And she seems pleased by this news. Yeah. Which, um, maybe she knows something we don't know, or maybe she's just really dumb. But 
I honestly think she's just wanting the two sides to pick each other off as much as they can, and then she'll come in and take care of whoever is left. Right. I mean, obviously, Winterfell is much further north than King's Landing, so in theory, the White Walkers will destroy everyone in Winterfell for her, but yeah. it still seems <laughs> an awfully uh, dangerous thing to be happy about. Yeah. She's similar to Littlefinger in that she just she'd be happy to be queen the, of the ashes as long as she's queen and she survives. My second double entendre was when Euron Greyjoy says he wants to fuck the queen, and I didn't know if he meant physically or he's going to fuck her over. So it didn't take him long to accomplish the first. And he insinuates the possibility of, of the second uh, meeting. He'll take the Iron Fleet elsewhere if... Oh, yeah, yeah. He says that if, right, the if they're losing... Side, yeah. Right, yeah. Yara says you pick the losing side, and he's like, well, I'll just dip out then. Yeah. But... I like that Cersei is turned on by this guy who is... Well, she hates her brothers now. Well, and also she says, you're the most arrogant man I ever met. I assume the previous most arrogant man she ever met was Jamie, was Jamie. Who has but... now been humbled. Yeah, and... Jamie's not the same anymore. That That's Jamie before he lost his hand. That's Jamie before he lost his kids, his dad, um, and, and before he lost Cersei the way he knew her. And, and she's basically written him off because now she's sending Bronn to go kill him. Yeah, and I I don't know what to think about that. I assume that Bronn is not going to turn into a villain. This yeah, because he's this, friends with both this of them. Season, yeah. Yeah. But he's also shown that he's always been. He's a cutthroat. He's yeah. always been interested in financial gain. But it's like I don't know. Are they are they going to turn Bronn into like? Well, a why did he stay back? Guy? I don't fully understand. I feel I think Jamie just left without telling anyone. Oh, okay. Bronn just went on with his life as normal. Yeah. Okay. Um, that'll be interesting to see. I I don't foresee Bronn becoming the villain this season that would Bronn's like a big fan favorite yeah and in the books he has a much more minor role so far so I just don't even see it as plausible that he would actually go kill the brothers yeah well the scene with Euron and Cersei where he says that he wants to impregnate her I was trying to interpret her reaction of is she considering having kids again or is she too far gone? Like part of me wants to interpret of like, yeah, no, little do you know that I will make sure that I, I never have one of your kids the way she did with Roberts. Or it almost like sparks this desire within her again. She's turned a new page. She's gotten rid of Jamie. You know, she needs a... a... I, I took it as a second part. I think she likes him. She, being a mother, has always been important to her. Yeah. Um I think she feels excited for the first time in a long time by this arrogant man. Um, and, and the dynasty for a thousand years. Right, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. if there's going to be any more Lannisters, it's going to come down to her because Jamie. I mean, who knows what... Well, I guess it's that's funny. Not. I don't know why I always say dynasty instead of dynasty, <laughs> but that's the way Tywin Lannister yeah. always says it, and I feel like I have to say it the way that he does. And I should just take back everything I said because Tyrion and... Jamie can still have kids, so but <laughs> it's irrelevant what it's in. <laughs> and then we just we meet this uh, Golden Company captain, Captain Strickland. We don't know anything about him yet, but Cersei seems to be disappointed in what she's getting. But I assume that they're because well, she wanted her damn elephants. Yeah, I I think she thought she was getting much more powerful than what she got, but I, it's still going to be a formidable part of the show. I assume with only five episodes left after this one, how many new characters can they give us? This is probably the last main new character. I assume he's going to be main, but I don't know. Well, it, it also sets up, like, take out the the Whites and the White Walker situation. Cersei still is a force to be reckoned with. It's not an easy one-sided thing. They've got the, the... We know that dragons can be pierced if you shoot them just right. They have the thing that Kyborn built, and um, which they've already used, but, like, so they have that, and then they also have huge armies with, with the Iron Fleet, and now with the Golden Company that they can actually pay Right, yeah. It's 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 hard 
it's easy to make the mistake that you said earlier of us underestimating Cersei because we got dragons and everything over here. Right. But while we're in this geographical area, um, Theon redeems himself by rescuing Yara and, and was pretty good. He was like Arya level assassin, which I'm not quite <laughs> sure a yeah. man who's missing some toes and fingers can do that, but. Apparently the, the Greyjoy, this little group, is is as good as Ramsay's ten good men that took out Stannis. Right. Um, they yeah they're they're little um, when they need the convenience of having super assassins they'll they'll take it. Yeah, and so Yara gets rescued. So now that plot point is changing. I did like their scene where he says, "You're my queen. I'll follow you wherever you go." Yara's already trying to plan how to support the North and Danny, and, and just if things like a contingency plan, or at least she presents it that way, which she probably is. Yeah, it's probably. But, legit. but she's already yeah. at least thinking. But she also knows her brother really well. So one of the things that Theon had said to Ramsay was that his real family was the Starks, and by the time he figured it out, everything was kind of quote-unquote too late well he knows now but what's he supposed to do and so yara i think knows this and basically gives like he wants to go fight for the starks he wants to go fight for his house all his remaining family members from that house are all there now doing this and he wants to be with them and she gives him the out yeah i I have in my notes it says theon finally makes a right choice (laughs) so well i mean he did when he saved sansa uh and such but he was so broken when they parted and and he always will have elements here that are broken for him but he's going to come back and actually be a worthy fighter and be able to fight alongside them we are doing a this is for the general crowd we're doing a rewatch of the previous seasons that we'll put out some point after this in the future and one thing I had said in a previous episode of a rewatch is I was thinking about what would be the safe places in Westeros if the White Walkers actually start taking over. And I, I listed the Eyrie as a relatively safe place and Dragonstone because it's an island. I can't believe I didn't think of Pike. Yeah, it's literally a bunch of islands. <laughs> yeah, she points out Pike because the White Walkers don't seem to be able to cross water. Yeah. Because as we know, when Stannis defeated Mance Raider, he got north of the wall by just sailing around it. It's not a permanent solution because if you've got the whites all over in Westeros, like people need to be fed. They would have to leave for Essos at some point. Well, yeah. No, Pike is, um, (laughs) apparently Euron can just say, I need a thousand ships and they can just build it. So apparently Pike has a lot of natural resources. More than maybe Dragonstone, but but anyways, whatever. Yeah. So I didn't think of Pike as, as, as a safe haven and I doubt they'll go there, but Yara is thinking strategically. All right, let's jump back up north to Winterfell again, because they, they went back there, and Davos proposes that there should be a proposal between John and Danny. They should get married. He brings this to Tyrion and Varys. So kind of discussing it, because they see the, the young love, and John rides a dragon. Yeah, we have our three dragon riders now. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So if you haven't read the books... The books allude to there being three dragon riders yeah. more heavily, and there's a lot of speculation about who they were. And if you figured out who John's parents are, which they, if, the, if somebody forgot, they yeah. made it crystal clear in this episode. But everyone knew Danny and John and who was going to be the third rider. Never occurred to me it would be a White Walker. So that's. Which I don't know if this is in line with it at all, but. Right, the in books theory, might go a different route. Right, but in theory, if you have to be a Targaryen in order to ride a dragon, it could imply that that White Walker. The Night King is a Targaryen. The Night King is, is, he's got some Targaryen blood in him. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Does to ride a zombie dragon, do, you, does, do the rules still apply? Right, <laughs> right. So riding that dragon looked completely terrifying to me. 
How would you not just slip off? <laughs> right. At least Danny presumably had some practice with little ones. But in the in the books, at least in the world book where you get a lot of art, they actually have saddles on dragons, which makes a lot of sense to me because they were diving around and John's holding on. I don't know on. why they didn't add saddles. It's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I just don't understand how he did not, yeah. especially like when they were doing all that, like the acrobatic flying, like he would just slip right off. Well, just imagine that he has a... Um, telepathic connection like an avatar because he's a targaryen yeah so what well, we can just explain it i'll go way. with that yeah that works uh. <laughs> um because it's this is high fantasy <laughs> but oh no i mean that was an okay scene and he learned how to steer the dragon yeah i mean i, I liked him being on the dragon i like that part of it there was some elements of like is just just are they being cutesy and are they on like a date well yeah it, it, i kept thinking of the avatar scene where he first rides the dragon yeah they're on a date and he steers the dragon and he steers it to this beautiful place with a waterfall and yeah they're yeah they're, they're building this romance for sure that didn't totally work for me again i'm separating the part of him getting on the dragon in that piece it was just something You're to just it thinking they got bigger fish to fry than yeah. This, yeah, this is kind of where, again, when Bran said already in the episode, we don't have time for this, and they're just gallivanting around, and it, w- it was funny to me because I guess he took her to a place where he used to hunt or something, but it looked like the waterfall, like there was a cave there or something, and she's like, we could stay here for a thousand oh, years. It's just and like I was like, egret. is this egret all yeah. over again? And I don't know, maybe that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth because I feel that his love for egret was so much more authentic than what he feels for Danny. There was definitely some parallels there. And, yeah. Well. And Egret was not his sister? Well, he only he finds this out 15 minutes later. Wait, 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 wait. No, I said that wrong. Cousin. Aunt. Yeah, aunt. Not, not cousin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, more, no. So, all right, before we get to all that. Well, one last thing here. So, we own pets. We have cats. And there's a lot of other <laughs> people like out there. Well, yeah. Well, you know, like a lot of other, you know, dogs are like this too. But what's with it when owners are trying to have some grown-up time and the pets have to be all there staring at you? <laughs> so th- I thought that was a pretty well-injected piece of humor. I did like that yeah. piece. Yeah. So uh, is it is it jealousy? No, no. I think yeah. it's just, hey, dude, what's up? I'm here. Just carry on like I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I think it's kind of just trying to set the stage that they're comfortable with John, and then it's just a matter of him being comfortable with them. But they're already kind of saying, like, you're cool with us. Yeah. And then back in Winterfell, we just get some reunions between Arya and some of her greatest hits. Yeah. First the Hound. Which that one did not disappoint for me, her and the Hound. Yeah, I mean... He's still the Hound. Even in, in how he's been refined and how she's way colder than how they knew each other last... No, but I don't think anybody could see that scene and be afraid that something was going to happen. No. No, yeah. It was obvious. No, but but also, like, I didn't want them to make it too cheesy. Right. Because she's Arya and he's the Hound, and it went exactly as it should. And then she meets Gendry. Which, okay, so she was so happy when she saw him during the procession, and then she sees him again. I have been saying this for a while. If anyone ever decides to listen to our rewatch, I have a a huge hope for Arya and Gendry hooking up and and becoming a, a pair. I think you might be right. I feel like there was a, some setup here. I have been predicting Gendry and Sansa, but that doesn't appear anywhere. No. And no. my only reason, because he's the last Baratheon, she's a Stark, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, she seemed right at the end there to kind of, uh, her, her being Arya, 
flirt with Gendry a little bit. If and, Ari's going to flirt, that's what that was. And he, right, yes, Sharing to the best of her ability. Right. And, yeah. And then he said that she looked good or whatever yeah. he said. So, yeah, there was, yeah. But I love that idea of the two of them together. And I've loved it ever since they first met. And then we get a powerful scene. Yeah. Where... Danny and Jorah go to thank Sam, and it did not go the way they thought it, it did would. Did not go. I'm surprised Jorah didn't know this. He just must not have known Sam's last name because uh, he certainly knows who the Tarly family is. So, so this was a piece where I don't think this was done as well as it could have been. I get like all what they were trying to do is get it so Sam and Danny were meeting and he gets this information. And they used how Sam saved Jorah. But it felt clunky to me because then Jorah was just like window dressing, just hanging out there during this incredibly awkward scene. And it just seemed kind of funny of, of him not somehow playing a bigger role because of his loyalty to, to Danny and how much he loves her. But also, here's the guy who risked his own neck, who saved his life. I almost, I almost thought at the end when Sam walked out after getting news that Danny had burned his father and brother, I almost thought Jorah would say... I didn't know he was a Tarly. Just some little thing like that to kind of give us a little more clarification or get Jorah to say something. He was just standing there. But ultimately, the, the point of the scene was that Sam finds out that his family was killed. And we know he, him and his father did not get along, but it can still be emotional news. He, he cared about his brother. He and Yes, he cared about his brother. and His brother wasn't a horrible person. No, Dickon was a good man. And... The acting with Sam was just top-notch. Yeah, the, the acting play Sam is, is amazing um, and did such a great job with this scene because there were some nuances as he's getting this information and, and just his compassion. It, it, he's such a likable character consistently. He took it harder than I would have expected, but of course, as his brother, and also just the fact that she straight up says he wouldn't bend the knee. Like, it's not like it was in the battle. Yeah. You know, this was an execution to the last two people who were standing up to her, and yeah. the brother chose. I said this the first time we watched it. If anybody listened to our season six or seven, whenever that happened, recap, I said, like, this is kind of a big deal, and this is a yeah. violent thing that she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you saying that. Um, well, now the chickens are coming home to roost. Right. Yeah. Because. Even though we know certain things about Sam's history and especially the relationship with his father and, and what his father did to get Sam to join the Night's Watch, what didn't quite work for me with, with some of this is like, are we supposed to be horribly sad about this? I, I feel bad for Sam, but it, it just it wasn't as obvious. And so it felt a little bit like, oh, okay. Well, that's that's kind of what I've been thinking for a long time is that as we rewatch the first five seasons, everything about Danny is so, once she starts getting power, is so powerful and majestic and she's always freeing the slaves and she's always her heart's always in the right place that it's easy to forget all the terrible things that she's doing mm -hmm. and all the just mean self-righteous things that she's doing as we watch yeah. it I, I think it's sometimes only upon a rewatch that you're like jesus she's like doing really mean things <laughs> yeah, yeah well and i i mean i think self-righteous is pretty spot on she she's really like into herself yeah. And and I have find it very off putting. So even in, in this episode, how she comes in like, Yeah, everyone should just adore me. I am your queen and it's like, yeah, no, this this wasn't gonna go really well. You can't just come in and expect people to just be like, All right, the way that, you know, her slaves at from Slavers Bay or the Dothraki, because the Dothraki respect power, I get that. She freed the slaves, I get that. But you can't come to Westeros being like, I'm I'm the, the ruler, you should all love me. Like and she kinda she acts very haughty. 
and entitled with certain things. Like, she's all pissed off that Sansa's giving her a hard time. And, yeah, they don't know you. And I will say that it's a really good thing they've done in the show of transforming her character. Mm-hmm. From, if you go back to season one, yeah. she's this helpless child. So now she's this... But so is Sansa. I'm the, I'm the shit person. But, yeah, I agree. So, all right. And then Sam, upon hearing this news, immediately has to go and tell John who he is because Bran tells him it's the right time. And, yeah. Uh, so I was waiting for that this whole episode. Is yeah. when are they going to tell John? Because now finally, the people who know the truth are with John, and I thought Bran would have told him like immediately. I'm glad we didn't have to wait longer than this episode to see John find out. I feel yeah. like that's there's a couple huge like takeaways from this episode and this is probably the biggest right and they really really told us what's going on and it's very interesting the ramifications of what this means um, for reasons we've discussed in previous podcasts but should John choose to tell Danny and he may not you know he doesn't want this he doesn't care about this but should John choose to tell Danny if she cares about the things she claims to care about has to take a back seat right know? well and I think that's Sam's arguments to to John, and I think it's the show creator's arguments to us. Because I think there are a lot of Danny fans out there who are going to be like, well, well, no, we like Danny better. And I think what they're trying to show here, when Sam asks these questions of, will she step aside? Immediately, I answered in my head, I was like, nope, no, right. she won't. She, what does that mean, right? She loves power, I think, too much. Um, she's not as ruthless as Cersei is, but she is ruthless as we're talking here. And Sam recognized that as a problem. It's I'm I don't know what direction they're going to take it because I've been thinking. There's only six now, five episodes left. How much can they really build a story to where she becomes a villain? Which maybe she will, maybe she won't. But is there even time to build that storyline? But there's an obvious conflict right here, yeah. and it's the worst possible time. So I assume Bran must have a reason for spilling yeah. the beans at yeah. this point. And it can't just be, well, they might die tomorrow. I guess it could be that, but it seems like this might create a civil war right. in Winterfell. Well, and know? he happened to be in the crypts, which I think is one of the safest places to be told such a huge secret like that. And he's looking at a statue of Ned. In the essence to, of know, like his, right. his father, and but also Leanna's there. So, so his mother is there, right, yeah. and the man he believed his father to be is there. So it, it's so poetic in that way. Um, I think it, it, Bran was very purposeful of why John was still right there. You said that John may not care; he doesn't want any of this. I think if he suspects that Danny isn't as good of a ruler as he currently believes, he'll care a lot. Well, especially he never if wants she, power, yeah. but he will do it if it's for the betterment of the situation. So he did it become Lord Commander. He's done it become the King of the North. I think he'll become King of the Seven Kingdoms if it means protecting them from something. And it's just going to be so weird to us viewers who have always seen Danny as the person who is going to be jiving for this. You know, like I just never really thought that she would end up there. All along, it's like I think she was going to go over there and something would happen, but like... I, I don't see her being the one that sits on the Iron Throne at the end, if there is even an Iron Throne to sit on. Right. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if everything gets disbanded and they go back to Westeros pre-Targaryen, which yeah. actually isn't that long ago. It's like 300 years. Well, it's hard to say because Westeros is, seems a little bit modeled after England, <laughs> so I don't know how much we could try to draw from history. Um, but yeah, I won't be surprised if there's not a Iron Throne at the end of this story. Something of note that this episode gave us, and you know, we already talked about John riding the dragon and how he's part Targaryen, blah, blah, blah. But what's a really important takeaway from that is the fact that one of the things that made Danny so special, her superpower, was the fact that she can con- 
as much as you quote-unquote control these dragons, and she can ride them, and she can wield them as weapons, and no one else could. And now we've got John, who's got this superpower too, and they will defer to him. That's what part of that scene was saying, is they're cool with him, he can ride them, he can, like, he basically can do what Danny can do. He's not as accomplished yet, but he can... Yeah, it won't take him long, right? Yeah, yeah there's, there's some competition so in the we, field. We don't need Danny, though, as an audience in order for these dragons to be controlled. But I also think that there's been huge setup of that. They are wild creatures, and they aren't meant to be in captivity at some point. They well, have to be set free. And that's maybe that line, Why? what do they eat? And she says whatever they want. Could, could have been her, I'm tough line, or it could have just been like, these are still what they are. But, and actually, what was funny to me is I thought they weren't eating because they missed their brother. That's what I thought, too. I thought they were depressed that they, yeah. there's only two of them left. And I was like, what do you fucking expect? They're sad. Uh, but it didn't explain why they're not eating. No, right? she said that they don't like the cold. Oh, well, yeah, that's stupid. Yeah, it's much better for them to be in mourning or something. <laughs> but I, I guess maybe the idea is here that they're going to be weak when the fight comes. Um, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, All right, and then real quick, we just get a scene with uh, Beric Dondarrion and Tormund Giantsbane, and they're up in the north. They go to the Umber Castle, whatever it is, and they run into the Night's Watch, and we get a fairly horrifying yeah. horror movie type scene. Yeah. And I, I liked all that. It was, that was... Super eerie. I loved when that little boy just opened up his eyes. He's like, Ee! no, it was, it was and, creepy. And, and the body parts, like yeah. similar at the the fight, uh, the fist of, of the first men, and and so here is the symbolism again, and and what does it all mean? And then it gets lit on fire. Right. I wonder if we're ever going to find out that spiral symbolism. Does it actually mean it? Like, is it something that matters, or is it just that's the way they roll? Well, the know? children of the forest. It, it's there, there's implications with them. With it, the show has introduced this several. Time, well, so. right. The Children of the Forest created the White Walkers, and they had that same symbolism of that spiral. Yeah, I, I, I just like that. I like that screaming sound of a kid is just scary. A kid zombie. And then it lasted a long time, yeah. longer than you would think. That um, poor kid. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> I, that, that was another funny moment where he called out his name, and he just like pops up out of nowhere. <laughs> Who, who that is when John sends him back to bring the rest of his people. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, when the little kid pops through. Yeah, yeah, that was a good place of humor. Just one thing about this show I just want to say that is really good is you get like uh, Dolores Ed, who's the Night's Watch guy who runs into Tormund and Beric Dondarrion. And this is just somebody who probably the first few episodes you saw him and you're like, yeah, just a throwaway character, like a red show in Star Trek. This guy that's just going to be gone in a few episodes or whatever. Last Heart. That's where the Umbers. Oh, that's the name of the castle? Yeah. Anyways. I was talking to myself because you were on your phone. But <laughs> anyways, what I'm saying is that you have these minor characters that grow over seasons that it's just good. You, you yeah. know, a secondary character that becomes a main thing that you're kind of suddenly you realize you have kind of an emotional attachment to after seeing them for five seasons or whatever. So that's just a, a strength of this series. And then finally, Jamie arrives. And yeah, he's not so golden anymore. No, I assume he dyed his hair for disguise. In the books, when Brienne is taking him back to King's Landing, he actually, like, shaves his head because he's got such obvious Lannister golden locks. I wonder if they're going to comment on it in some sort of way, or if it's symbolism that he is detached from the Lannisters. Well, right, because as we've mentioned in previous episodes, Tyrion's hair is getting darker with each season, so maybe that's... But Cersei is still quite golden. Right, yeah. So as you move away from the Lannister, you, your hair gets darker. But I mean, Jamie's just like black at this point. I assume yeah. it's got to be dyed. But anyways, he sees Bran. 
the kitty pushed out the window, who now is only a half-human super creature thing. Well, and, and so here's what's funny. is like you see the horror on Jamie's face. Um, and, and so I, I very much like to see the continuation of that scene and how that conversation goes. I do not expect Bran to be upset about it or anything because he even says at some point, because I lost my legs, that's what brought me to become the Three-Eyed Raven. And so that set in motion, that piece for Bran... And also, he's he's kind of this weird person now, where he's often very emotionless. Yeah, I'm predicting that Bran won't care. There's going to be a lot of people mad at Jamie, but Bran won't be one of them. And Bran's Bri- Bri- there, right? Bran will stand up for him. So nothing bad's going to happen to Jamie. Tyrion will. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the the ending. I suppose it was a good cliffhanger, but it yeah. felt so abrupt to me. Maybe just because it was it was under sixty minutes. I think it was like fifty four minutes or yeah. something. And when it ends, you're just like, God damn it! So um, it was a little jarring that ending. But I guess for ending on a cliffhanger was fine. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Whoever did, and mm-hmm. hopefully you'll join us for next week. And hopefully I'll be on iTunes by then. I will be posting on social media the names of the podcast and everything if we get on iTunes. Good night.